0: Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection. And we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine.
1: And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. (laughs) I hope you all heard him slurping. Anyway, welcome back, everyone. Yeah, we are going to start with that.
0: No, let's start over.
1: No, we don't start over or edit. <sighs> as a reminder, anyway, COVID twenty four,
0: the twenty fourth time that we have done a recap of a COVID echo.
1: It's crazy. Who'd have thought this would have gotten? And of course, so large.
0: It's not like it's going away because there's ten thousand cases on Saturday. In Florida.
1: Bigger than Little Falls. Yep. Anyway, so we start today with Jericho once again, our vice chair for research and professor at the University of Minnesota Department of Family Medicine. This is cool because this survey, global survey on stress and resilience in the face of the novel coronavirus out of Duluth. They aimed to figure out the nature of the psychosocial, economic, and health changes associated with COVID and how people are handling it, basically.
0: Well, how they're
1: coping. How they're coping. Anyway, they have had 5,123 respondents from 106 countries already.
0: And it was actually, uh, it was, the English version was actually launched in March, and now they have it in seven other languages across the world and uh that actually launched in April. So
1: but yeah, they're they're aiming to look at the consequence of this pandemic on mental health and substance use. So we have to stay tuned to see what kind of research they find because if they find a lot of substance use things, that'd be really super cool to put on our regular addiction go. Yeah.
0: And actually one of the things that they're looking at is they want to get a lot of data so that, you know, if this ever happens again, I I don't want to jinx us here, but if we were to have another pandemic, um, you know, how could they use what they've learned to basically prepare for that again? And I made it quite clear, I think, during the echo that if we had another pandemic, I would clearly uh, retire. Cause, but you wouldn't. I don't know. Geez.
1: You've already done what, you know, been working on the opioid epidemic. You said you wouldn't retire until that's handled, and it's clearly getting worse. And now there's a pandemic, so you have to go for the trifecta. Uh-huh.
0: All right, well, we'll see. <laughs> so then, uh we had uh
1: Chris Hagen. Chris Hagen
0: from Centric Care.
1: So, can I start with what he started with? Okay, go ahead. Tocilizumab. Oh, Tocilizumab. The IL6 thing. So, he kind of focused on this early study, you know, 544 patients. Sorry, we can hear your ice jangling. But that this early me. study to recap and to to point out, and I think this was really cool that he pointed out, because this came from the very beginning, when everybody was in the study also received supplemental oxygen, the H drug, azithromycin, antivirals, and heparin, low molecular weight heparin. Magnitude. So about a third of the patients in this study received either IV tosilizumab or subcutaneous tosilizumab. In the standard therapy arm, there were 73 deaths. In the tocilizumab arm, there was 13 deaths, which is significant. So it really lowered the risk of mechanical ventilation and death in the groups that got the tocilizumab.
0: So you're saying that 73 deaths would be more than 13 deaths.
1: Right. But they'd have to factor that out because there were more people in the regular group than the tocilizumab group. But it was still a p-value of less than 0.0001. That's
0: a lot of zeros, Dr. Bell.
1: You're right. So anyway, and moving then on.
0: we moved to remdesivir. And one of the things that's been in the news, and he kind of touched on today, was this whole deal of what it's going to cost you to get a little remdesivir. <laughs> and they they ain't giving it away. Uh, if you are getting it through the government, like maybe you're in the army, you get or a, Medicare or Medicare. It's twenty three hundred bucks. But if you have private insurance, well they're going they're going to grab at your checkbook and it's going to be 3120 mm-hmm. so about $1, a thousand dollars difference but less.
1: but they still had positive study data which decreased the length of stay on average 4 days which is still cost savings
0: yeah in my mind it's kind of like uh, the patch for stopping smoking they put it at a price where it's slightly cheaper for you to use the patch than smoke and that's kind of a selling point and here they're saying, "Hey, it's only 3 grand. You will save money in the end because it's 5 grand to stay in the hospital or 10."
1: But ultimately, the the Gilead type of information and studies they've done did not show statistical significance on overall survival. So you're going to be in the yep. hospital for fewer days, but you might not necessarily be alive.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so that's a down.
1: Okay, that's horrible. So, oh, and to recap, this question was asked, so I'm going to point it out. If you're going to give something like tocilizumab, you're going to give that a little bit later in treatment as we talked about last week. So days five to eight-ish, mm-hmm. the remdesivir is an antiviral you're going to give early in that lytic phase. Ooh. Fancy.
0: Yeah, just to even throw lytic in there I think was impressive. So then we go to dexamethasone, That and everybody's seen probably some of these studies. We actually talked about this uh, over the weekend with some of the different studies that have come out. And as I recall... Uh, the dexamethasone arm was only, what, 17% improvement in
1: death? Correct.
0: So it's not a huge thing. But again, um, in March, we were talking about how the steroids made COVID worse. So, yeah, it was nixed and no one was using it. And then in June, it's like suddenly dexamethasone may improve survival in some of the critical cases. Again, I believe the number was 17% improved.
1: But the point is...
0: Doesn't help mild disease
1: correct and it's not peer-reviewed and of course our ever favorite you know brilliant toxicologist Beth Bildin did point out that the average patient though in the dexamethasone arm who was on a ventilator was 10 years younger than the non-dexamethasone arm so we'll wait till the peer review comes out to see what they show but ultimately if dexamethasone works that'd be super awesome because it's dirt cheap although now Chris Hagen mentioned it's kind of getting hard to get.
0: Yeah, just like a, you know, like a mask. Those are hard to get. I'm using the same ones I started using in March.
1: Correct. Anyway.
0: All right. So the COVID, he just talked a little bit about this COVID tracking tool, and we're just going to throw it out there in case people want to look at it. It's called Milken Institute, M-I-L-K-E-N, and they have a tracking tool. It basically follows all of the different treatments and breaks them down into different specific areas like antivirals, antibodies like convalescent plasma, cell-based therapies, devices, and so on and so on.
1: And he also talked about the vaccine tracking website, which is kind of cool. So it's wwwcovid 19 org. So, really, it talks about there's 172 different vaccines in development. 13 are actually in clinical trials. I mean, so I think, that's,
0: yeah, it's a good deal if you want to kind of track or, you know.
1: Look really smart at the dinner table yeah, on Thanksgiving. Your, hey, I'm tracking my
0: favorite vaccine. <laughs> Plus, then you could probably, I, I suspect in Vegas you could bet on them. Like, which <laughs> one's going to come out first.
1: Okay, he is not any type of a shark here, so don't listen to him necessarily. Yeah.
0: So then uh, we talked a little about methylprednisolone slash solumedrol.
1: Slash glucocovid. Fancy. Yeah.
0: So one of the questions was asked, would, would a six-day course of IV methylprednisolone improve the outcome of ARDS? Well, there was one little study with 85 people looking at you know, results for death, ICU admits, ventilator placements, And really what they showed, which is what I think a lot of these have shown, is that you can decrease the CRP, which it did, uh, that some of these people get hyperglycemia, which they did. And uh, it reduced risk in age stratified analysis somewhat. And uh, per the protocol, Not
1: statistically significant. Not
0: huge, no.
1: But I think the whole point of this, and Chris did point this out because I took notes, is that, uh, you know, they're questioning if dexamethasone is going to be the only beneficial steroid or if there's going to be other steroids that could be used. And this is when he mentioned the dexamethasone shortage. So they are looking at other steroids, especially methylprednisolone, which is IV. Um, so again, this study was pre-publication as well. So grain of salt.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you're going to give me steroids, give me the anabolics right off. <laughs>
1: Although they said, you know, remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about men with higher testosterone tend to have worse outcomes, which is why you're doing well right now. Yeah, I
0: got a full head of hair.
1: So you don't want the anabolics. Yep. Yeah, so I got it going.
0: So <laughs> then he talked a little bit about the therapies, uh, you know, how they're developed, because I think there's a lot of confusion about why can't we just get this vaccine out, you know, test it on a couple of monkeys and throw it into the general population, but... That's not how it works, although it is much faster than it was before.
1: And I really liked this because, gosh knows, I haven't researched all of this trial stuff in a long time, ever. So mm. anyway, the preclinical phase, they're collecting data. They're looking at the you know, primate and mouse data and all of that, um, looking at the toxicology pharmacology data gathered. Once it passes that, you go into the phase one clinical testing. I kind of like this. This was like 10 to 100, and the next phase hundred and the next was ten hundred or a thousand Ten hundred? Ten hundred. It's been a really long day. So do you wanna talk about phase one clinical? Yeah, stuff? you know? Yeah,
0: you know, the preclinical is like you're on the couch and you're thinking about getting off the couch, right? So phase pre contemplative. Yeah. <laughs> and so phase one is like you're gonna get off the couch. And so these are you know, small studies of of healthy people. Uh and you know, let's face it, these are usually medical students who need money. <laughs> um, and, uh, they evaluate their safety. That's and why response. your anabolic
1: steroid levels or your steroid levels are so low. You were in one of these preclinical trials. Yeah, that's why I still have Testing hair. for prostate cancer. Um, and so
0: <laughs> basically in normal phase one trials, these are one to two year deal, but again, in the COVID thing, they're pumping these out in three months and, and kind of moving on.
1: So then we look at the phase two clinical trials. We're adding a lot more people again, hundreds of people. They're more in-depth review of the safety, efficacy, targets of optimal dosing. Typically, this takes a moderate two to three years. Again, COVID timing, six to eight months is what they're looking at.
0: And then phase three. Man, let's let's move it into the 10 hundreds, as Dr. Bell says. <laughs> Thousands of people we're going to test this on. Uh, we're going to take all of Little Falls and give them this vaccine and see how it works out. And it's really a way to kind of fine-tune the safety and efficacy and hopefully not lose a lot of people. That'd
1: be bad. Right. And then then lastly, you get the regulatory approval. So the FDA reviews the trial data and the licensures, blah, blah, blah. The manufacturer can actually make the product, get it ready, but they can't market it or sell it. They can just get it all ready. So then when they get the go ahead, they can just mass make a lot of money. Normally this takes two years to get the regulatory approval. So this whole part, just this end part takes that COVID they're thinking a few months. So, Rather than this being like a whole five to six, seven year deal, it's they're looking at COVID. Let's do it in a, one year.
0: I mean, I think you're probably wondering why do I have this whole group of Savannah monkeys here? And I figure, hey, if oh. I'm ever, ever going to get a vaccine through, this is the time. I mean,
1: someone I, listened to the research.
0: Yeah, I'm just thinking this, uh, that uh, the FDA is maybe a little asleep at the wheel. I'll kind of punch my vaccine through real quickly. So then we talked a little bit about metformin, and I think this is one of the coolest things, this whole, um, and basically an observational study where they went back and uh, looked at people who who had filled prescriptions for metformin.
1: It was a lot of people, 6,200.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of people. That's half of our, well, it's a fifth of the population of our entire county here, so
1: it's a lot of people. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) dork. Anyway, (laughs) What they found is that this is not going to help any of the men in our county, sorry. Yeah. It's it's definitely a female focus. There are fewer deaths among women taking the metformin versus met, you know, metformin-naive people, uh, even adjusting for other risk factors. Yeah. So that's, I mean, and again, the benefit was not seen in men. And when you look at this, basically they found that the, the metformin lowers your CRP by two times as much in women than as men, and it lowers this tumor, tumor Tumor necrosis factor alpha. TNF. And that is the whole kind of inflammatory secondary phase um, with COVID you're worried about. And so if it's working in women to lower it, that's probably why women have had fewer deaths.
0: Yeah. And this actually drops the the risk for death by almost 25% in women. Us guys, and the uh, you know, it did change me a little bit because I was crushing up and putting on my cornflakes every morning. And I have now stopped because men get no benefit. It's a bummer. But actually, I saw a lady just the other day, and I said, wow, you're on lisinopril, you're on metformin. You're golden. You're golden. golden. <laughs> you know, you got it, you got it going. So then after Chris was done, we went to our, our friends at uh, Home Health.
1: Home Health. So Christy Housen, excuse me, Home Health and Hospice Director of Centricare Care, as well as the Board of Directors at the Minnesota Home Care Association, and Karen Peterson, Regulatory affairs and advocacy manager of the Minnesota Home Care Association.
0: See another really cool title it could be Kurt Devine, regulatory affairs and advocacy and addiction medicine at St. Gabriel's Hospital. I mean, it just sounds good, but never mind. Yeah, but, geez. <laughs> I gotta sit closer to the button. I just
1: pick random buttons and sometimes <laughs> they work and sometimes they don't.
0: Yeah, that was hilarious. So, so they were talking a little bit about what ho- home care is, and I think that what's really gone on. Since COVID became a thing, is that you know a lot of times we're trying to keep people out of the hospital. We're trying to care for them away from the nursing home, uh, and so they they talked a little bit about how their business was up about twenty percent, and people are trying to stay home. Um, and so, really, home care—what is it? Well, it's that it's that provision of that equipment and services that to the patient in their home, you know, really for the purpose of restoring and maintaining their maximal level of level of comfort, function. And health traumatic pause?
1: I think there's, you know, they talked about the goals of home care and it's really looking at, is this a post-acute phase? So they were hospitalized and then they need like a step-down thing rather than a nursing home, transition back to the home, trying to help go into the homes to prevent readmission and ER visits. Um, They've actually, during this COVID time, started to take higher acuity acuity than they did in the past. And again, it's just to kind of People who are at more at risk of having severe complications of COVID aren't wanting to go to the ER, so they're able to kind of help manage that. Um, but they've also seen home care as more of a proactive, <laughs> preventative <laughs> thing, and again, keep people out of the hospital. But something I never actually thought about this is really a birth to death type thing. But not everybody, not every home care agency is considered equal.
0: Yeah, and one of the things they talked about this decreasing emergency department. Visits, but we did talk a little bit about how part of it really is to also, in the time right now in COVID where people aren't going into the ER, is knowing when to put them in the ER. That is true. So you didn't say that. You were looking at it. I didn't. Like, I was like, seriously. Like, I just said this. No, you didn't say that.
1: So, anyway, different things that home care do. And we all kind of know some of these things. The point out one thing I really thought that was really neat is this whole medication management and focusing on the fact that. She's right. Like, we don't always know what meds patients are on. I mean, you could say there's a med list. You can even have a hospital discharge med list. But really, when they go into the home, they have the bottles. The patient can say, I'm taking this and this and this. And you can actually see which one the blue one is and the white one is and the triangle-shaped one is. And really kind of go through a lot of that to kind of help minimize medication issues, which is probably a huge, well, and probably is a a huge issue when it comes to readmission and ER visits. Yeah. Mm But really, they get to look at the ADLs, the different daily things. They get to kind of coach on some of these healthy things, get them the things that they need, do some wound care stuff at home. Stuff. Stuff. But then, like, if you're looking COVID specific, as we kind of are, you know, they can monitor some of the oxygenation, monitor for decompensation. So they don't have to necessarily be admitted as quickly with COVID. They can be managed at home.
0: Well, and she made it pretty clear that, you know, let's face it, home care has done a lot in the past with infection, right? And Mm -hmm. they're pretty well trained in in kind of the infectious disease and how not to transmit things and how to work around patients with problems like that.
1: I thought it was really interesting how she did talk about that, you know, when they leave a patient in the past and try to not get this infection into their car and then to the next patient. Never thought about that before, but I Mm. guess it's super true.
0: Interesting. Well, so, I think that was probably the big the big thing. There's a little testimonial stuff, and they had a couple of things about what uh, really what patients say and how you know how important it was really that they want that people want to stay in their home and i we, we get that and we have patients all the time who really don't want to be in a nursing home. I think more so now with covid than ever, uh especially in Minnesota with the congregate living being probably two thirds of the I don't know two thirds of the deaths. I, yeah, I think it's. roughly. So, so I think that's been really important.
1: I, there was one question that had been asked, and I really want to kind of point this out: as you know, sometimes as providers, putting that referral into home care and kind of knowing what to say and how to say it to get it approved, and you always have to kind of make this homebound status or whatever. But they did say with COVID, they're able to say that one of the ways of saying home-based can be based on the recommendations that a person is so high risk that they shouldn't leave the home because of the risk of getting COVID.
0: Yeah. So the basic point was, if you have a question about any of these things, call your local home care people and let them help and let them work it out. Yeah. No, that wasn't.
1: That it. was super appropriate.
0: No, but that's the thing.
1: It is. And I, I'm going to add something to that. There is a website, CMS Compare website. I guess you can Google that. But you put in your zip code and actually lists all of the different home care agencies that can service that zip code, which obviously in small towns we probably know them all, but maybe you don't. But not only does it list all the ones that service that area, they actually give you the quality lists and standards and kind of the rankings. So that might – and this is through CMS is kind of this is the quality improvement that CMS does. So this is not necessarily – Patients get mad and they do a bad survey. Hmm.
0: Well, a couple things. If you want to be on the Twitter and see what we've got coming up, it's at Echo CSCT. And you can look at that because we always have new talks coming up, which speaking of that, next Tuesday, we will have microbiology from the Mayo Clinic.
1: You're right, Dr. Patel. And tomorrow on the Addiction Echo, we have Erica Garrity, who is a midwife slash doula extraordinaire really talking about the care of women and families in and out of incarceration. Yeah,
0: sadly, she has a sick kid. She was going to be in studio. It's not really a studio, but it's just a room with a bunch of cameras.
1: (laughs) I guess that's a studio. With a green screen?
0: With a green screen, but Mm. her, she has sick kids, so she will be from home. And then uh, in two weeks, we come back with uh, Dr. Naska, infectious disease. That's on the COVID. Yeah, that's going to be big again. So, yes. and then we'll let Battle legs kind of get going and start the band.
1: Yes. And just to recap on the addiction podcast that was released today, Dr. Do- <laughs> Judge Sean Flerky, talking about drug courts and everything amazing he does up in Duluth. So,
0: yes. And ignore when he made fun of me.
1: Anyway, Battle right,
0: Legs. Battle legs. thanks so much for listening.